know, they say that the average attention span uh, for like kind of a public speaking venue like this is about 27 minutes or so. I think Brian just took about half of that, all right? So <laughs> I need to figure out a way to reset all of your kind of internal concentration clocks because I got a little bit more than about 13 minutes uh, of content here. Uh, I see that we're, we're using the word permission very loosely around here tonight. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, he did have permission. Uh, there's a lot to uh, kind of get uh, to you guys in terms of just everything that we're doing around here to kick off the new year. Um, and actually, it's all really exciting stuff. And so I hope you caught all that. Um, uh, what I'm particularly excited about is, is kind of this, this plan uh, that he spoke about, and I'm going to kind of come back to on the back end, uh, just kind of a plan for uh, your spiritual formation uh, this year. So make sure that you're kind of paying attention to that, um, and you, you got that uh, handout that's on your chair, because we're going to come back to that in a little bit. Um, my name is Justin, uh, like Brian said, for those of you that uh, I don't know. I realize that uh, I don't teach kind of in this context often. Uh, I do more teaching kind of in our leader development um, and uh, the last time I taught, I think, was the beginning of August, and so there's a number of you uh, who are brand new to uh, the church. Uh, so there's a number of you who I'm probably just a complete stranger, and so I thought uh, it might be helpful before I kind of jump into the text uh, tonight just to, to give you uh, just a little bit of context for, for who I am, and not really because I love talking about myself. To be honest, I don't really love talking all that much, uh, but because I think it will just be helpful for you to have a picture uh, of of kind of what makes me tick, and maybe even more specifically, um, who, who I was in kind of a contrast to, to where I am now and, and what my life looks like now. So uh, the way I'm going to do that is I'm just going to kind of explain uh, to you, I'm going to kind of just give you a picture that, of um, if what my life would look like if it were purely up to me, all right? I'm going to trust that this is a safe place, all right? Uh, be kind, because I, this is pretty raw. Uh, this is pretty uh, unsanctified, if I'm just really honest. Um, and so if I, if, the, if I was making the rules, if it was totally up to me, uh, I would live in the middle of nowhere, all right? I would own a ton of land uh, that I could do absolutely anything with, all right? Um, my only neighbors would be wildlife. I would have as much peace and quiet uh, as I wanted. I would have a, a huge house. Actually, I don't care that much about the house. My wife might want that. But I, want a, I would have a huge garage, right, where I could just park all my man toys, uh, all right, and then a huge workshop attached to that where I could just go out and I could work on projects and I could tinker uh, as long as I wanted to. Um, I would have a huge yard where it would necessitate me owning a John Deere tractor just to say that I owned a John Deere tractor, and it would take me days to mow all of the lawn that I would have. And I know this next one, this one, this might be pushing it, but uh, you know, when you guys see like big jacked up trucks around here and you think, like, that is so stupid. Like, that is so impractical. You know what I think? Like, that's awesome. Like, I, I want one of those. It would be close to uh, my family uh, so that my kids could grow up around their grandparents and their cousins and aunts and uncles, uh, and probably more selfishly so that we would get some help uh, once in a while. Um, and, you know, lastly, I would be surrounded. The, the few people that would live there, right, besides my family, they, they would look just like me, all right? They would think like I do. They would, they would value the things that I value. They would believe what I believe their lives would look a lot like mine. And I told you, this is unsanctified, okay? I'm not endorsing that way of thinking. I'm just saying that, like, if you caught me on a bad day, I might say this. All right, here's what my job uh, would look like. I would work a job uh, that got me outside 
every single day. I would work with my hands so that at the end of the day, I could look at what I accomplished. <clears throat> Somehow, it would also pay really well so that it could, uh, I could afford this lifestyle that I'm describing to you. Uh, I, I, would work, I would spend the majority of my time alone. Like I wouldn't be around people. I wouldn't need to, to hear about people's problems. Basically, I'm describing Ron Swanson. Any of you are Parks and Recs fans. And I'm not going to say I'm a redneck because that's a little offensive to those of you that are like hardcore rednecks in the room. But I'm a little bit more blue collar than the average city dweller. So now, all right, let me tell you what my life actually looks like. I live about as close to downtown as you can possibly get while still being on a somewhat residential block, okay? The amount of land that I own is 0.00015 of an anchor. And actually, I don't own that. I own half of that 0.0015 because I share a wall with my neighbors, all right? I live in a duplex. My my wife and I have 1,500 square feet to our name. And and don't get me wrong. I know there's many of you that would love just to own anything uh, in the city. So I'm not complaining. I'm just contrasting uh, kind of my dreams with with my reality. I also live right across the street from Safeway, or if you've been around these parts for a while, the Unsafeway, and, uh, and all of the chaos and rowdiness that comes with living on that block. If you were to describe where I live to me a few years ago, I would have said prison. I live in prison, all right? All my family's back in California, so in order for my kids to be around their grandparents or their aunts and uncles or or cousins, uh, we either have to fly there or they have to fly here. Uh, My truck is nothing to be proud of. Let's keep moving. And then I'm (laughs) surrounded by lots and lots of people who are very, very different from me. They live differently than I do. They look differently than I do. They value different things. They believe different things. Let me tell you about my job. All right? I'm going to tread lightly here. Um, I spend the majority of my time indoors. All right? I spend the majority of my week around people. And I, I will say I've come to love that, but it is hard. Right? I spend the majority of my time having very hard conversations with people who are walking through some really dark, challenging stuff. It is, is mentally and emotionally exhausting. I told you earlier, I don't really like talking all that much, uh, but here I am. I'm about to exhaust my daily word quota in about 30 minutes, and I've actually already done it twice today, right? This is the third time. I will not speak the rest of this week, more than likely. And I, I don't tell you all that for no reason, all right? The reason why I tell you all this is because I want you to be asking the question right now, why would someone with every reason to live somewhere else, to work somewhere else, to be someone else, choose the exact opposite of all those things. And I kind of, I thought through that question this week. And the the only explanation for why I live the way I do, I, I work where I do, I raise my family where I do, is because years ago I had an encounter that forever changed the way that I would look at life. It, it would forever change the way that I would define the good life. And many of you have had an encounter like this. In fact, that might even be the reason why you're in this room right now. The, the, the way that you got to Colorado was maybe you came here uh, on a family vacation or, or a ski trip or a spring break, and you went to a place like Estes Park or Rocky Mountain National Park, or you skied at Vail, and you thought to yourself uh, after, after experiencing Colorado, like, I have got to live there one day. 
Like, I am going to do whatever it takes to architect my life in such a way that I will land there one day. Now that you live here, you can't imagine living anywhere else, right? <clears throat> Some of you, you, you've spent time abroad. You've been able to travel uh, and study uh, internationally. Maybe you've gone on a long-term mission trip. Whatever the reason, maybe it was just a vacation, that uh, you were exposed to many different cultures um, that were very different than your own. And you, you tried different foods, uh, and you uh, saw some just crazy cultures, and, and, and your life now is, is, is much richer because of it. And you began to build things in your life that you didn't even know existed prior to that trip, right? You have an appreciation uh, for, for much more that the world has to offer. Because I think we're familiar with this idea that there are some encounters that we have that, that are so powerful that we, they forever change the way that we look at our lives. They, they change the way that we make decisions. They change the way that we behave. They change the way, uh, the things that we value, the, the things that we prioritize. And guys, I, I had one of these encounters. I had, I had an encounter with the gospel that forever changed the way that I would do life. And, and that's exactly what Paul is going to reference and unpack for us in this text today. He is going to, to explain what happens when we have an encounter with the gospel, or, or what should happen when we have an encounter with the gospel. So the first thing that I want us to see from this text is I want us to see that the gospel is a truth for us to believe. The gospel is a truth for us to believe. Um, let's look at verses 11 to 13. In these verses, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to Peter, all right? Peter was one of the guys uh, that spent a, a ton of time with Jesus during his ministry. He was part of the, the inner circle, and Paul's writing to him in these verses uh, about a problem. Peter, Peter has a major problem in these verses. He's actually got a couple of problems. Let's read the text, starting in verse 11. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. There's, there's, there's a lot kind of going on in the context uh, of these verses, more than we have time to unpack completely. Uh, and I, I don't want to get lost in the weeds. What I want you to focus on is, is, is the problem that Peter has here, all right? Um, and Paul kind of this says it very directly. He says that Peter was acting like a hypocrite, all right? He was acting like a hypocrite because uh, he was behaving one way around a certain group of people, all right, the Gentiles, uh, and behaving totally different around his people, all right, the Jews. Um, and there was a lot of reasons for that. There was a lot of kind of social pressure, uh, but, but fundamentally, uh, it was because uh, Peter had some racial prejudice uh, that that was being exposed in the way that he was treating uh, these people. And here's Paul's solution to Peter's problem. Verse 14, Paul says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Think of all the ways that Paul could have confronted Peter here. Think of all the things that he could have said, right? He could have said, Peter, you are acting like a hypocrite. Stop it. Like, you're breaking the rule about hypocrisy. Or, Peter, you're, you're breaking the rule about racism. Stop it. But, that, but that's not what Paul says. What does Paul say in this verse? Paul says that his behavior is not in step with 
the gospel. His behavior is not in line with the gospel. It's, it's inconsistent with the truth of the gospel. Now, he's not minimizing Peter's behavior. He's not minimizing Peter's racism or hypocrisy or cowardice. He's actually saying that, Peter, your problem is much deeper than you realize. Your problem uh, isn't just kind of this war on the surface. It's this, this cancer uh, that's invaded your body that we need to address here. So first, let's, let's define how Paul is using the word gospel here. I think uh, particularly for a sermon whose emphasis is the gospel, uh, as well as kind of the gospel being one of our first core values, uh, and, and, and the gospel being really something that defines us as a church, is important for us as we begin this year to have a very clear understanding of what the gospel is. And I think the best person to tell us that uh, is actually the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 3 to 4. He says, For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So in the most basic sense, in the words of Paul here, the gospel is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins so that we might be reconciled back to God, all right? In the most basic form, like that is the good news of the gospel. Gospel literally means good news. And the good news, right, is that though we were separated from God because of our sin through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there's been a way made for us to be brought into a relationship with God. There's been a way for us to have an encounter with God. In fact, we're being invited into this relationship. Second, let's analyze why Paul is using the gospel. Why is he using the gospel here to uh, kind of address Peter's conduct? In this moment, Peter isn't primarily breaking a rule, right? He's failing to believe a truth. Uh, Timothy Keller, a pastor in New York City, he, he kind of explains what's happening here this way. He says in Galatians 2.14, Paul lays down a powerful principle. He deals with Peter's racial pride and cowardice by declaring that he was not living in line with the truth of the gospel. Uh, from this we see that the Christian life is a process of renewing every dimension of our life, spiritual, psychological, corporate, social, by thinking, hoping, and living out the lines or ramifications of the gospel. <clears throat> the gospel is to be applied to every area of thinking, feeling, relating, working, and behaving. Paul is showing that in our Christian life, we never get beyond the gospel to something more advanced. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truth. Rather, it is more like the hub in a wheel of truth. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make all progress in the kingdom. All problems, personal or social, come from a failure to apply the gospel in a radical way, a failure to get in line with the truth of the gospel. What is, what is he kind of saying here? Well, I think what he's saying is uh, often there can be this kind of tendency to think of the gospel as this, uh, this kind of like basic Christianity, this kind of like, like Christianity 101 that kind of once we understand it and once we've received the gift of salvation, we kind of move along or we, we, we move past it. We progress in the Christian faith through uh, just kind of willpower and discipline and, and, and obedience. And those, though those things are important, that's not the case because the, the gospel is the fuel uh, that fuels our obedience, that fuels our, our, our willpower. Keller says that 
all problems, personal or social, come from a failure to apply the gospel in a radical way. That's what Paul is doing here. He is applying the gospel to Peter's problem, right? Remember, his problem is his, his racial prejudice, his cowardice, his hypocrisy. And so Paul says, says, Peter, you need to believe the truth of the gospel. Uh, specifically, what, what's kind of going on here is Peter is isn't believing the full gospel because he's trying to earn some kind of justification or acceptance or approval from kind of his people as well as God uh, by uh, kind of shunning these, these Gentiles, right? So he's not believing that all of the justification and all of the approval and all the acceptance that he needs has already been provided to him in the gospel. See, Paul doesn't just attack the fruit in Peter's life, the fruit being his conduct. He actually attacks the root in Peter's life, the root being his unbelief. And why is this so important, all right? This is so important because behavior always follows belief. Behavior always follows belief. 100% of the time, behavior will follow belief because behavior is a tangible expression of our beliefs. And the only tool that's powerful enough to combat our wrong belief or even our unbelief is the truth of the gospel. This is such an important concept for us to understand. Um, and, you know, the thing is here, this problem, uh, problem of kind of unbelief bearing bad fruit, isn't just a problem for Peter. It's actually all of our problems. Um, it's... Something that I, I wrestled with this week as I kind of thought through what Paul is saying here uh, and the way that what we believe is connected to the fruit in our lives. And I came across a really helpful illustration. Uh, and what I did, and let me just kind of tell you about, I guess, this week. Um, this week for me was kind of the perfect storm of all of these kind of like less than ideal circumstances, all right? It's kind of funny how that always seems to happen uh, when you're supposed to preach, right? Like God makes you believe this stuff. It's so annoying, but it's the way, it's the way, it's the way it is. It's, it's actually beautiful. Uh, and because I can speak to you from experience uh, now. And what, what kind of happened is, uh, you know, my wife, she's like 33 weeks pregnant, so there's a lot going on there. Um, we decided that we would start a major home remodel uh, like two weeks ago, and I don't know why we thought that was a good idea, but half of our house is being remodeled right now, and we're hoping it's finished by the time baby girl gets here. Um, we have a toddler who just turned two a couple weeks ago, and I'm not kidding you. It was like the morning he turned two, a, a switch was flipped, and he woke up with a demon in him, all right? He, <laughs> he is awful right now, this defiant, right? Um, then uh, my wife uh, left town about midweek to, to go to Arizona for a girl's trip, and I'm really glad she did that, but she left me with him uh, as I'm trying to get ready uh, to, to teach this sermon. And I know, I know it seems like it, it is an honor to be doing this. I don't want to discredit that. But sometimes the week before, it feels like punishment. It's like, Brian, why, why are you making me do this? It is so difficult. Thank you for doing this every week, Brian. And so this week, I was just filled with so much anxiety. Like I was just walking around with my stomach in my chest. You know that feeling? Just like a pit. It was just like I was having trouble sleeping. And it was just like I just kind of felt myself slipping into this place of uh, just kind of lifelessness and, and resignation and, and just despair. 
And so as I was working through this particular part of the sermon and, and I was going to talk about this illustration, I thought maybe the most helpful thing I can do is just tell you how I identified this bad fruit in my life and the process that I went through uh, to, to understand the false belief that was behind it, all right? So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of just walk through what I did in front of you right now. Hopefully, this is helpful for you, all right? Um, so there's this, uh, there it is. This is a, a template um, that I kind of use, and obviously, the fruit was really easy to identify. And the way that this template works is you can kind of see these uh, there, you only see three up there, but there's four questions that, that we need to ask ourselves when we're trying to uh, identify false belief in our life, all right? And the first question <clears throat> is, how should I live? Basically, what is hanging on the fruit of my life, all right? As I said, that part was easy, right? I was, I was stressed. I had anxiety. I was frustrated. I, there was anger. There was fear. There was worry. The next question, as I kind of worked my way down to the next level beneath that, is, is who am I? Or, or what do my thoughts, words, and actions reveal that I'm believing about my identity? And for me, uh, I, was, I, I was believing that I, I'm not in control. Like, I knew that, but I was believing that I have to be. I'm not in control, but I have to be. What has he done? What has God done in and through Jesus? That's the next question. Or what does my belief about my identity say about the work of God? Well, functionally, like, I was believing that that God has lost control, that he has stopped loving me, that, that he had abandoned me. And then kind of working our way down a little bit deeper, now we're getting to the roots. Who is God? What, what does my belief about the work of God say about his character? Well, in that moment, I was believing that he wasn't actually good, right? That he wasn't actually in control, that he didn't actually care about all of these kind of less than ideal circumstances going on in my life last week. All right, and so as I kind of worked down this year, you can see over there on the left-hand side that I was confessing sin, right? I, was, I wasn't just confessing fruit. I was confessing unbelief in my life. And that's what confession is, right? It's speaking out loud what we are believing in that moment. And ultimately, that led me to repentance, where I had to turn from this, this way of believing that was wrong, that was not in line with the truth of the gospel, was not in line of, of who God is and what he has done. And, and I began uh, with the same question that I finished with and began to work my way up and confessing what I knew to be true, right? This is a confession of faith. So the first question, or the one we just left, is who is God? Well, I know that he is love. I know that he's powerful. I know that he's in control. I know that he is present. What has he done? Well, well in the gospel, I know that he's, he's loved me perfectly. I know that he's provided for my greatest needs. I know that he's demonstrated complete power and control over all things. Who am I? What's my identity? I, well, I'm, I'm loved. I'm never alone. I'm cared for. I'm, I'm dependent on him. And then lastly, how should I live? What will be the fruit in my life when all of these things are in order? Well, there'll be peace. There'll be joy. There'll be love. There'll be hopefulness. There'll be rest. And I don't want to oversimplify some of our complex problems and just say, hey, use this template and all your, your, your problems are going to be fixed. Because that's not true. But I will tell you from my experience this past week, that as I was sitting in the coffee shop kind of working through this, I just began to feel some of my anxiety and some of my stress just lift. I, I was led to a place of worship as I was reminded of who God really is, right? Not who I felt he was in that moment, not who I was experiencing 
experiencing him to be in that moment, but who he really was, who the, the truth of the gospel shows him to be. Guys, it is so important for, un, for us to understand why it's not enough for us just to identify kind of bad behavior and then try to fix it, all right? That's just behavior modification. That is short-term, kind of a, a temporary solution to a much larger, much deeper problem. If we are truly going to see gospel transformation, we are going to see life transformation that will last, we've got to get down in the dirt. We've got to get down to the roots and, and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where we are believing wrongly. So I want to kind of circle back around uh, to my story, because I told you I had an encounter with the gospel that forever changed things for me, uh, but I want to make this a little bit more practical. I, I want you to see uh, how my life kind of practically began to change, and this didn't happen all overnight, and to be honest, it's more kind of in retrospect, like realizing uh, that what happened is my beliefs functionally began to change. I, I began to believe that the good life was defined not by where I could go for the best opportunity, but where I could go for maximum kingdom impact, all right? I began to believe that the good life was defined not by all the the stuff and status and experiences that I could fit into my life, uh, but that my life was actually meant to be poured out and given away. I began to believe that the good life was defined by not how independent and self-sufficient I could be, but how needy and dependent I am on God and the community that he has surrounded me with. And I believe, I began to believe that the good life was defined by not how easy my life could be, not how comfortable my life could be, not how safe my life could be, but how effectively I could leverage my life for the kingdom. And I know for many of you, you can totally relate to the way that I feel at times. There's times, there's days where I, I look out my window into the side of the cinder block wall that is Safeway and imagine what the mountains look like on the other side of it. And I think, what if I just quit all this? Like, what if I just left it? What if I just took my family and pursued something better, something easier, something a little bit more comfortable and I know you guys feel that. Like you, you think, like, what am I doing? Like, how did I get here? Like, I'm raising my family far away from, from grandparents and, and aunts and uncles. Uh, I, my house is way too small. My yard is way too small for the size of my family. I don't feel totally safe in my neighborhood. I'm surrounded by a lot of people that are very different from me. I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you by telling you that you're not alone. I feel this. You're surrounded by men and women who feel this. And it actually means that you're doing something right. What I was reminded of this week is that if I never own property, if I can never afford to buy all the gear and toys that my heart desires, if I never have all the experiences that I want to have, it will still be worth it. Jesus is more. He is more than the American dream. He is more than all the comfort and safety and stuff that you can fit into a lifetime. Guys, this life is not all there is. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's a blip on the radar of eternity. 
Guys, this, this is the unique perspectives that the gospel gives us. It's only by giving our lives away will we truly find life. That's the beautiful paradox of the gospel. And as some of you, you haven't really thought about the gospel this way before. You've never really thought about the gospel as this truth that, that's meant to shape everything about the way you live. It's meant to shape everything about, about where you work. It's meant to shape all of these major decisions in your life. And so I want to encourage you, that as you begin another year, to think a little bit more thoughtfully about these things. I want, to, I want to encourage you not to make decisions purely based on assumptions about where you'll live or the next job you'll take. Not, not based on people's expectations about where you'll live or job you'll take or who you'll marry, all right? I want, to be, I want you to look at how the gospel speaks into some of the most practical areas of your life. I know that it's really tough to kind of believe this truth. To, to, to believe such a countercultural way of living uh, can actually be more abundant uh, in the end. But I want you to look around this room and realize that there is men and women who are doing that right now. And I think if you, I know that if you ask any one of them if it's worth it, they won't hesitate to tell you that it is. They'll tell you it's hard, but they'll tell you that it's worth it. All right, so how do we begin to do this? How do we begin to be a people this year who, who sh- let the gospel shape the most practical areas of our life, who let the gospel speak into some of the, the major decisions that we're going to be making this year? Uh, and that's kind of the second part uh, to, to where I want to go today. I want to give you a plan to follow this year. And I'm really, really excited about this plan. Uh, your pastors as well as uh, city group leaders and other leaders in the church, like we have spent time uh, just thinking and praying uh, about how we can kind of see these marks of spiritual maturity in your life this year. And we've put together this plan. And, and this plan is really built around the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 17. He says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith or, or belief, all right, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I believe that if you commit to walking down this path this year uh, with, your, with your church family, that you're going to grow in two primary ways as it relates to the gospel, all right? Uh, the first way uh, is in biblical literacy, and the second way is in gospel fluency, all right? I'm going to unpack that uh, a little bit more. The reason why those two things are so important, though, because if we're going to be a people who are grounded and saturated in the truth of the gospel, then we need to be a people who are prioritizing knowledge of that truth and speaking that truth to one another, all right? We need people who are, are, are prioritizing our knowledge of that truth and speaking that truth to one another. So the, the first component of this plan involves getting into the pages of Scripture so that we might grow in biblical literacy. All right, what is biblical literacy? Biblical literacy is the ability to use and understand the Bible, comprehend the message of Scripture, and apply biblical truth to one's life. Why is this so important for us? Well, Paul told us, he said that, that hearing comes through the Word of God. That's the, the foundation for belief, right? So we need the Word of God. The, the, the pages of Scripture are where God has chosen to reveal Himself. The pages of Scripture are where we encounter God, uh, who He is and what He's done and what He is doing and what He will do. 
We believe that one of the most important life-shaping habits that you can cultivate in your life this year is the regular reading and immersion of yourself in the Bible. And I know that for some of you, like kind of having a daily rhythm of being with Jesus, uh, having your Bible open in front of you, maybe uh, having a journal that you write in, that might be a totally new and kind of a foreign concept, and you're not really sure where to get started with that. For those of you, you've tried, and you've gotten to like Exodus or Leviticus, and you kind of called it quits, like I get that, but we thought about that, all right? So the first thing that you need in order to see growth in your biblical literacy is you need a Bible, all right? That's a given. And if you don't have one, that's okay. Uh, but I would recommend um, a good readable and literal uh, translation. And the one that we use around here is the ESV translation of the Bible. I think that's a great version to use. Um, and if you want, kind of want to take it a step further, I really challenge you to pick up a good study Bible. And basically what a study Bible does is it takes uh, commentary and notes and insights from, uh, from men and women who have been studying the Bible longer than most of us have been alive. And it puts them right next to the pages of Scripture so that we might better understand kind of what's going on historically, what's going on uh, contextually, because the Bible is an ancient document that is so rich, right? It could be studied for a lifetime and, and you still couldn't understand everything. And so it allows us to take the insights of many different people from many different walks of life uh, to give us insight into what the author's original intent was. And so uh, the Bible that I would recommend, or the study Bible I would recommend is the ESV study Bible. That's the one that we all use. We actually have them for sale in the lobby. Um, we're, just, we're not trying to make money off them. We're just trying to put good resources in your hands as cheaply as possible. So you're going to need a Bible, uh, preferably a, a good readable translation and a good study Bible, all right? And secondly, you're going to need an app, right? Like a phone app. Uh, it's free. Um, and actually, PT mentioned this a couple uh, weeks ago in his sermon. It's called the Read Scripture app. And my wife and I, uh, we use this app this year to read through the Bible, and a number of people in my city group did. Uh, it has been so helpful, right? Not just because it gives you a plan, right? There's a lot of really good reading plans out there, uh, but because there is so much additional content that they pack into this app, and it's really well done. It is top-notch stuff that kind of helps explain how the entire Bible is a story that leads us back to Jesus, all right? And, and so you're going to need to download this app and use it as you uh, kind of read through the Bible this year, uh, knowing that there's men and women around you that are doing the same thing. So hopefully there'll be some really rich discussion that comes from this as we grow in biblical literacy together, all right? So the, the second component, the second uh, kind of mark that we, we want to see uh, us grow in this year is gospel fluency, a person is gospel fluent when the gospel becomes their mother tongue. They see the world through that filter, they hear the world through that filter, and they know how to speak the truths of the gospel, the truths of Jesus, into the everyday stuff of life. The way that we're going to do this is we're going to read through a book together, all right? You're, you're going to read through a book in the context of your city group, and that book's actually called Gospel Fluency. It's written by a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt, uh, and that's actually where that illustration of Fruit to Root that I used a few minutes ago came from. And in this book is a number of, of very practical insights uh, and illustrations and ways that we can begin to learn the language of the gospel uh, with one another and then speak the language of the gospel to one another. 
Guys, the reason why this is so important is because what does Paul say? Paul says that faith comes by hearing, all right? And so in order to hear, we need to, to speak these truths to one another as we uh, kind of walk through life together because we are a forgetful people, right? We have gospel amnesia. We have a tendency to forget what is true, and we need men and women uh, alongside us that are doing life with us to remind us what's true and to speak that truth over us. We, we, we need to become so familiar with, with the truths of the gospel, the implications of the gospel, the ramifications of the gospel, that we become so fluent and we can just easily and naturally speak it into one another's lives. And I really think that this book is going to be an invaluable tool uh, in helping us do this. <clears throat> I love plans, right? I know some of you are like that uh, and others are not, but that's okay. We still need plans. Uh, but here's the thing about a plan, right? It's just a plan, Okay, a plan is just a plan. Our hope is not in this plan. Our hope is in a person. We got to recognize that this plan is not just about the pursuit of information. Uh, It's about the pursuit of a person. The person who is truth, Jesus Christ. We need to realize that all of our planning is in vain if it isn't fueled and empowered by the Spirit of God. And so in this, in this plan this year, we need to maintain a posture of expectancy and dependency, all right? We need to, uh, to, to, to open our Bibles each day, expecting for God to meet us there, expecting to have a, an encounter with him, expecting for him to cultivate fruit in our lives. And along with that, we need to be dependent, right? We need to have this posture of dependency Recognizing that without that, it's just information. Without that, we won't be able to see the kind of life-changing transformation that we desire to see and really what the gospel should produce in our lives. So we need to encounter God in the pages of Scripture, and we are dependent on His Spirit to take that information and turn it into belief. Guys, the roots of unbelief in our lives will only begin to change as the Spirit uses the Word of God and the people of God to expose unbelief and lead us into ongoing repentance and faith. And so that's what I'm going to pray over us as we close tonight. Father, thank you for a new year. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for uh, this passage that we have in Galatians where Paul is, is kind of unpacking for us how the gospel practically shapes our lives and how, how it should practically impact our behavior. And Father, I ask that as we begin a new year, that, that we would be, be thoughtful uh, about the, the way that we are making decisions. Uh, we are being thoughtful about the way that we are kind of setting up and architecting our lives I pray that we would recognize that uh, the gospel is so significant and so important in the life of a believer that we never move beyond it, that, that it should practically shape and inform uh, some of the most personal areas of our lives. And, and Father, we know that, that in this plan, this plan for us to grow in, in biblical literacy and to grow 
and gospel fluency that we need you to show up. We need you to meet us in your word daily. We need your spirit to be active in our hearts, convicting us of sin, leading us to repentance, and leading us into truth. Uh, We desire to be a people who prioritize your word and who prioritize speaking the truths of the gospel to one another. I pray that you would help that be something that, that marks us and that defines us this year as we commit ourselves to this. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.